Friday, everyone. Welcome to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I'm your host, Michelle Berard, founder and CEO of Michelle A. Berard LLC and Urban Book Editor. And I am very happy to share this hour with you where we examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now, you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guest on the November 22nd show, author and documentarian Stephen Howe. You can find Stephen's book, The Deprived, Innocent on Death Row, on Amazon. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the November 22nd show, at thesomewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Geniuses Common Movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is an important message, and we really should share it with the youth. But this message is not just for the youth. We adults also need to be reminded sometimes that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Geniuses Common Movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I'm really happy to introduce this week's guest. Dr. Carolyn Rivers Cannon is a school social worker in the Atlanta area, and she has devoted over 18 years of her life to improving the lives of Georgia's school-age population. Her role is that of a child advocate, providing appropriate interventions and services that help an average of 2,500 children and families per year who are at risk for educational failure. Terlin had a spotlight press release for CUTV News Radio in 2017 that was followed by a featured interview on December 1st, which provided her an opportunity to discuss her nonprofit organization, Katie, K A T I E, which stands for Caring Actions Toward Inspiring Eagles. She dedicated this organization to her aunt, Katie May Tendall, who was also a social worker. Terilyn is also the host of Dare to Soar with Dr. R.C., which is on Bold Brave Media and airs every Saturday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern. Terilyn is a recipient 
of the 2019 National School Social Workers Association of America Award, and she is the first African-American from Georgia and the first African-American female to win that distinction. Terilyn has been recognized with numerous awards for going above and beyond for the kids in her community. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Terilyn Rivers-Cannon to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Terilyn, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, I am very excited to have you and um, I really want to get into everything that you're all about. And the way that I do that, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I asked two questions. And the reason I ask these questions is because I really think they give us some insight into um, who you are. So if you're ready, I'll ask my two questions. Okay, I'm ready. All right. Dr. Terilyn Rivers-Cannon, who are you and how did you become who you are today? Well, I am um, first a child of, child of God, and I always put that first because without him, I could not do or achieve anything. So I, I definitely have to put that out there first. Um, I am a mother. Um, I'm a sister, an aunt, a niece, a daughter. Of course, uh, I am a wife of a husband of 21 years. Um, also, I am an advocate for those who cannot advocate for themselves. I have the voice that allows me to be propelled in an atmosphere where there are voiceless individuals who desire to have so much more, but for one reason or another, they have been propelled in a situation where they're either afraid or scared or just don't know the questions to ask in that way. Uh, I am a school social worker and a social worker. You know, the entity that I work in that profession right now is within the school system, but overall I am a social worker who's been in this business for over 20 years now. And I continue to love each and every minute and moment of it because any and every time I can see progress, even if it's in one individual, making that individual's day easier, helping a parent to understand those things that he or she is not able to understand or that guardian, I am all those things balled into one. And I will continue this journey that I'm on and I've been blessed to give the opportunity to do for as long as I can possibly do it. Um, how did I get to this point? Well, it started during my junior year in high school with my aunt, who is my shero, and her name is Kata Mae Rivers Tyndall. And I have to always say that name clearly. I carry her with me every day because a picture of her is in my phone. It's on as my screensaver, as a matter of fact. Uh, during my time in high school as a junior at, in my grandmother's home, she would come from college, Voorhees College, which is my alma mater also, HBCU. Um, she would come there each holiday, Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving, summertime, and sit with all of her books spread out all over the place. And it was about social work because she was a social work professor also. And we would have long conversations about all of that. And as we had those conversations, I would look and I would be curious, but not curious enough to say that I wanted to do this as a profession. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, ha ha, 
because she won and I lost on that note. But um, with all that being said, you know, as I sat to one end and she would sit to the other with her glasses tilted on her nose, she would tell me and draw me in without me even realizing that I was about to be, you know, um, enthralled in this profession. And it's all about the advocacy. And that's what I love about it so much, the law, the policy on the local, state and national level. And when she would draw me in, she would tell me things like I needed to learn how to speak the vernacular. And our junior and high school, you know, kid, you don't think about those things to speak a language that would help and assist others because you just don't think along that line in high school. And I would tell her, no, Auntie Katie, you know, that's for you. That's not for me. But the more she shared with me, the more advocacy, the more policies and procedures and laws that she talked about and shared, my chair came from the end of that table right next to her. And the more I learned about it, the more I wanted to learn about it. Just simply the way her students interacted with her, the way she interacted with them, and the papers that she wrote and went over assisting students and families in all that they needed so I just truly enjoyed that, along with the fact of learning so much how to advocate for my own self as a teenage mother. That was a big, huge part of it as well, along with being the oldest of four siblings. You know, you when you're in that role, individuals are looking to you to see what is your next move? What are you going to do next? So I know that all of the things that I've learned from her I had to be that voice, the voiceless, as I like to say, you know, give individuals information of understanding so they will be able to deal with or have those conversations without feeling threatened by those they're asking those questions to. Mm-hmm. But my aunt now is no longer with us. She is on another assignment, as I like to say, because on December the 25th in 1996, she was called for another, her other assignment. Um, at that time, I was a medical social worker at my home state in Savannah, Georgia, at Memorial Hospital. And she transitioned in that hospital where I was a medical social worker. Oh, wow. Wow, that's amazing. So basically, you had someone who was kind of leading you by the hand largely unbeknownst to you probably, um, initially at least, into what became your calling. Absolutely. Absolutely. I had no idea that, you know, I would even be in this place in this time, but I thank her each and every day. And every day that I do this job, um, I always say a prayer that, for one, to always keep me humble and to let myself and others know that this could have potentially been me because as I shared a little bit ago, a teenage mom, when individuals see you as a teenage mother, they look at the front without opening the book. And I'm just pinching a bit of what Martin Luther King shared in that sense, because that is reality. And that's truly how it is before they can see who you really are or see you. They're looking at that outer appearance. And not that I was in a deplorable manner or anything like that. That wasn't it. It was just the fact of, hi, I'm Carolyn Rivers Cannon, a teenage mother. They could not see beyond that. And I've even had individuals during those years to tell me what I could not do, what I would not be, and mm. what I was never going to be able to accomplish. And 
of course, being a team mom is difficult enough without all of the judgment and the limiting that other people put on you about what you can and can't do. Oh, it, it certainly, certainly is. And that's why I use every breath within me to empower uh, teen moms, young women who are not even teenage mothers because they need to see themselves before you know, further than what's in front of them. I want them to look beyond the stars. I want them to look at the solar system. And that's not just for females, but males also, because we have our young males that get into situations. And although, no, I'm not a male, but I can share experiences with them about self-esteem and confidence and empowering them in those ways. So let me ask you, because you mentioned specifically learning to become an advocate for yourself, of course, and as a, an elder sibling or the oldest amongst your siblings, being advocates for them as well. What does someone need to learn? How does someone learn to be an advocate at, let's say, 16 years old, 17 years old, advocate for themselves in particular? Well, first and foremost, you have to come out of the shadows. Because when we see just as simple as looking someone in their eyes when you're speaking with them and not being able to share your opinion, but not share your opinion where you're sharing it in an angry way, but sharing it in a way that's related so individuals can understand what you're feeling and what the meaning is behind what you have said in that way, you know, standing up for yourself in that sense that, okay, yes, I'm in this situation or this may be a particular time and moment, but this does not define me and define who I will be in my future and just empowering those things within them. And that's what my aunt did for me also and my grandparents as well. You know, my grandparents, they did not uh, complete further than middle school, but in their household, it is so powerful because I always say that they had PhDs or the different types of doctoral degrees because the wisdom that they had mm. to encourage you to go so much further, although they did not go to that level, but that was the language in our home that, okay, yes, this is, we didn't get have an opportunity to do this, but you do. And you need to te- take each and every opportunity that you can that's availed to you and not be afraid. You know, a lot of times with our young people now today, individuals may see them as being angry or hostile, but I always say, let's try to peel back some of those layers to see what's really going on. Great number of times, we don't know, they may have been in a homeless situation, not eaten. They may have been in a domestic violence and not necessarily them, but their parents or their guardians. So we have to take all those things into consideration when we're working with our youth of today. Well, you know, that's interesting that you said you mentioned working with the youth, because one of the things that I noticed, my son gets very frustrated with a lot of people kind of talking about this generation of millennials or Gen Z or whatever they're trying to call this uh, slightly younger group now. I don't know if they've settled on a name for that group yet, but how they talk about them being entitled and all these different things. And he finds it very frustrating, like the adults around him, particularly in schools and even certain family members, really dismissing his generation 
you know, his sister's generations as, you know, not as good, not as strong, not as capable, not as focused and dedicated. What do you find that the kids, I mean, do you find that other kids are feeling this way? And if so, what kinds of things are you doing to work with them in terms of how they interact with, you know, parents and other adults? I definitely do. And I always kind of make a joke with them just to kind of break the ice when they are coming in frustrated or angry. First and foremost, I allow them to be heard. And that's the biggest thing, uh, just listening to what they have to say, because a lot of times they feel like they're just, as you said, being dismissed. And adults don't want to feel that way. So imagine a child who is not able to function on a level of maturity as we are able to do to feel that they're being dismissed. You know, that kind of propels them into other situations that we really don't want them to get into. But first and foremost, to dip out to your question, to listen to them. And then the joke that I have with them, to kind of break the ice and make them smile, is do you really think I just woke up and was an adult? Did you not think that I went through anything? It's a different time, but certainly. So I kind of share some of those things with, you, with them to break the ice on that. You know, they have a lot of opinions about a lot of things, mm -hmm. but sometimes when you just take a few moments and just hear them out, they have a lot of sound judgment behind them. You know, they have a young wisdom, if you will, until they get to the point of experience in life itself. Mm -hmm. And with that, you know, pulling in those ideas that they have, let's use that energy and turn it into something good. If they have ideas about certain things and we can provide opportunities for them to team up with other young people to, you know, allow those dreams or ideas to come to fruition, let's do that. Because that means that they feel that they have a purpose, which they certainly do, because the purpose is to grow them and allow them to become productive adults that live quality lives. Because after all, these are the individuals that's going to be leading our world in the future. You know, with society itself. And if they don't feel a confidence, and that's a way of building confidence and self-esteem, putting in those different things, allowing them to become interactive, sharing what's going on, things of that nature is a benefit to not only them but us as well. Because when we are able to open that door, we learn more about them and where they're really coming from. So as a social worker, do you sometimes act as the mediator maybe between those younger people and let's say the teachers or the administrators to help them understand one another better. What is your role in the academic environment? It is just that um, we are mediating a great deal, but we also uh, address issues such as mental health, which is huge. We address suicide prevention and intervention. As well, we address homelessness as well. We're addressing the social emotional aspects of our students also. We're addressing attendance also because when you really look at it, there's a reason why students are not attending school. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's a valid reason for a particular individual or not, it's still a reason. And just as I shared about those things, the mental health, the suicide, you know, those things come with depression. Those are issues that go on with them that we're addressing. We are addressing uh, issues such as if families don't have Thanksgiving opportunities, such as food, 
also Christmas items. We're working with those things as well. So all those things balled into one is what you're looking at with school social workers. And that's just a tip because when we even look at crisis intervention cases, when we're having, for example, what's going on in society now with school systems, those mass shootings, school social workers are front line to those things. We are addressing those things right on, pulling those teams together, leading those teams as well. And it circles right back around to the mental health. There's something going on with the individual, or it could have transcended through a family line. But everybody, and families are not going to always share that information with you because it's private for them. And you can understand that. But we still have to get to the root of it. We are dealing with also our exceptional need children. I don't like to call them special needs. I say exceptional because when you get to talk to a lot of these kids, they are actually really phenomenal. And I want to say that again. They are phenomenal children with exceptionalities that define them to step out and be heard and noticed. And so when you say exceptional, you could mean anything from what they label as gifted to what they label as maybe maybe uh, on the spectrum or something of that nature and anywhere in between, I'm presuming. Absolutely, absolutely. So what are some of the particular challenges that you deal with um, when you, if you, you know, if you go into the uh, school, and I don't know if you work for the district, you're with APS, right? Yes. So do you work the entire district or do you work at a particular school? A particular school. So when you walk in first thing in the morning after you've grabbed your coffee or tea or whatever it is that you do when you first get in the door, what might be the type of thing that you are faced with first thing in the morning? Well, the first thing, um, it may be a student that has not returned home the night before, for example. Um, Oftentimes we're faced with that. It may be a family who is homeless and not able to obtain school uniforms, or maybe looking for a shelter to live in. Those are some of the things. Uh, We may end up coming in and hearing about a suicide case or a child that's in crisis for one reason or another, facing those mental health issues. They may have been off medication or not wanting to take the medication because of the way that medication makes them feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm praying that I can get to some of those issues Um, As I'm walking the door, and I say that because a number of times, which a lot of individuals uh, do not realize, school social workers cover more than one school. Uh, For example, here in Georgia, the ratio for student to school social workers is one school social worker to 2475 students. What? Wait, say that again. One social worker to 2475 students? Yes. Wow. Yes. 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 Some of my colleagues in different districts within uh, here in Atlanta and across Georgia may have up to seven schools for one school social worker. Wow. Okay. And so you're helping families. You're also helping the students themselves and you're helping the teachers and administrators to work with the students more effectively. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. We provide trainings each year, uh, more than one time a year on crisis intervention, on um, 
you know, learning how to address our students in the most appropriate manner, if you will, just some cultural sensitivity. Mm-hmm. Um, we're uh, providing information on the suicide, the mental health, the homelessness. Definitely want to provide those federal regulations, especially when it comes to homelessness. You know, a lot of times it, it's seen that they're going to bring attendance down, but no one, and like I shared with them during my presentation, no one wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I want to be homeless today. This is right. something that's beyond their control. So we have to work within those constraints that we're provided with, because if we're working with them on this end, imagine how they feel each and every day that they have to get up and live that life. Let me ask you a question, because we've seen videos of school security uh, handling students, particularly students of color, in different places. And, you know, I was a parent in DeKalb County, was not a fan of the security. I was not a fan of them at all. I felt like they were very, very... I, I felt often a little disrespectful of the kids in the time, mm-hmm. some of the things that I saw them do. Um, although they, they seem to be decent people. I don't want to imply that they were anything less than decent people, but I saw some interactions that were troubling to me as a parent in terms of the way that they talked to students and dealt with the students. So my question is, do you work, how, do you intervene or work with helping with some of those communication gaps and, and issues there may be with those kinds of disciplinary. I don't know what APS has in place, but I know at a lot of the DeKalb County schools, they have, uh, they call them resource officers, I think. And we have those as well. And what a lot of the districts have done also to speak to that is with everything happening in society today, a lot of the districts have chosen to have their own police officers there in and school officers, if you will, mm-hmm. and they are actual police officers. And these officers, male, female, are being trained. And the training that we provide, it extends to them as well because they are employees of any particular district. And it's just not the cab APS of many, many of the districts uh, here in Georgia have went that way. And as we look across the nation, a lot of schools are now going that way. They're providing more of the suicide prevention and intervention trainings for them. Not to necessarily say that they can proceed with the crisis itself, but what they are able to do is better identify and then know how to dialogue with those students more and have more of that sensitivity as far as when that child is going through a particular situation. You have steps that you need to have fall in place. You know, one being, okay, you know that your direct line is when you see a student experiencing this, you need to make contact with that school social worker. We're also gonna make sure the administrative staff is aware also, and more importantly, those parents or guardians definitely need to be informed. A determination has to be made when a child is in crisis if we need to call the ambulance, if it's a situation where we're just calling the parents to inform them and saying, okay, this is what occurred and these are the next steps. If it's taking them for an assessment to their emergency room or following up with their doctor for a particular reason, 
if a child has been taking a medication and been off that medication, we're definitely bringing the nurse into play also of the team because we need to identify and ensure that, okay, was the child taking the medication? Is the nurse informed? Does she have a list of it? Is this child taking the medication while in school, perhaps? And if that's so, then definitely there's a packet of information that has to be filled out there also. So that training is so vitally important. And those officers definitely need to know the do's, the don'ts, and the what ifs. So they can be as prepared as possible. So, but a lot of that sounds like it's kind of after the fact. What about things like, you know, making sure seven-year-olds don't necessarily get handcuffed uh, <laughs> for, for, for what is the equivalent of yelling, you know, because they're seven uh, and maybe, maybe on the spectrum or something like that. Or what about de-escalation uh, tactics? I mean, one of the challenges that we've had around the country has been there's a great effort to de-escalate interactions with um, you know from the police from what we've observed you know when it's a white driver white motorist who's being stopped for example and not necessarily the same efforts when it's an African American or Hispanic um, motorist you know trying what do we see in the schools with regard to those types of things? And do we see, or, or I don't know if you're even able to say whether or not you observe, you know, any differences in the way that kids are handled by race or ethnicity? Well, I can honestly say that I have not um, taken notes of the race or ethnicity portion of it. But um, as I shared, there is training provided and that training is provided each year, even before the student come to school. Okay. Um, and if there needs to be a retraining, there is a definite retraining and delivery of that also. Now, once if that should not occur, are certain steps put in place to move forward? Of course, just with any job, steps are taken when you don't follow the protocol as you should. Mm -hmm. But the information is shared and it is provided. Well, this may sound unrelated, but it's not really unrelated in my opinion, because uh, another thing I observed as a parent in DeKalb County was it seemed to me that African-Americans who wanted to get ahead in the academic environment in the school district, and of course I'm talking about DeKalb County, I don't know anything really about APS, and this is why I'm asking. It seemed like mm -hmm. everybody had to go get a PhD if they were gonna be you know, a principal or something like that if they were African-American, but that wasn't necessarily the case with other folks. And so I'm curious what your experience is as uh, an African-American woman uh, Af in, in authority in APS, right? And as a doctor, you know, someone who's gone and gotten all that extra education and become an expert in her field, how do you feel that you and others are progressing in the school district and in the field in general? As far as, are you asking about a principal or as a school social worker? Well, as a school social worker, I mean, you're a social worker, so I'm asking specifically in that field. I mean, do you feel like African-Americans, African-American women in particular are, you know, getting the respect that they should be getting or able to have the impact that they want to have? What kinds of 
things are you encountering or others in your field that you're aware of are encountering as far as being able to make progress as professionals, as women, and for the kids in their, in their care? Well, I feel that the progression is very good. Um, As a matter of fact, um, there is a social worker in Florida who probably about two years ago became a superintendent. Oh, wow. So that is absolutely wonderful when we speak of the profession because a school social worker being a superintendent, our lens is it's not a closed lens for us in this profession. We have the opportunity and the training to look at the whole child. Mm-hmm. So when we have gains such as that, that is, you know, huge hand claps, cheers, and all of that for our profession. Definitely. Definitely. Well, and you yourself recently made history as the first Georgian, the first African-American, and the first African-American female to win the National School Social Worker Award, yes? Yes, yes. Tell us about that. What what does that entail? Um, Well, the process is you have to be nominated, and then you have to, of course, have letters of recommendations. Um, There is a committee on the national level that reviews all of the applicants that are submitted. And, um, you know, I had, I'm blessed enough to have that representation. I am originally from Georgia. So to represent my state in that way is, is really phenomenal. uh, I must say, I'm originally from Savannah, Georgia. So just to be able to say that I am from Georgia and the first Georgian is really just wonderful. You know, it's just icing on the cake also when I found out after receiving the award in April when I had to go to Orlando to our national conference that the other portions came in along with the first Georgian and as you shared, first African-American and African-American female because that those things I did not know uh, prior to getting there. So when I heard those things, I, I was just in awe. Um, I had to take a pause and be in silence for a few moments. You know, my dad was there. Um, my cousin was there and my best friend. And of course my husband was there, my best friend for over 30 years. And my line sister also, um, she was there. And my father, as I said, my cousin and my cousin, who is my aunt's oldest son, uh, who got me into this profession. I asked him to come as well. So the award was dedicated to her, um, all of the work that I am doing and I continue to do. Uh, and I always say I'm not finished yet because I feel that there's so much more. And, you know, my voice needs to be louder um, in a sense that I need for everyone across America to hear that. And I, I'm so serious about that because when the individuals hear school social worker or social worker, they think of one or two things. One, you're coming to take my children away, or two, you're coming to knock on my door about attendance. And as I shared, we do so much more than that. And our training is so uniquely filtered and skilled until it allows us to do and go to that next level with so many things. You know, the national award, becoming superintendent, it is such a wide range for us because of our training. Right. Well, and so... What is it that you would like your, how would you like your voice amplified and what area in particular would you like your voice to be amplified so that more people have an understanding? Yes, absolutely. Uh, 
if I were, if I had my dream of dreams, to be able to get into the media outlets, to have that opportunity for to be interviewed in person on television, on the radio, and I've done a lot of of those things. Well, the radio portion, but not the television portion. Speaking continuously on that local and state and national level, I've had an opportunity to speak before the educational subcommittee here in Georgia, in Atlanta, which was really, really a great opportunity um, in collaboration with our lobbyists that we work with here for my state organization that I was the president of and served for two years. That was just a great opportunity. And then speaking um, on our local meetings, I've had opportunities to do that as well. But just getting more to that national level and then on in those televisions also. And just not here in Georgia. You know, for me, the sky is the limit. Uh, If I have the opportunity to go across the U.S. and share information, that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because I need what the thought process is of what you think we do to be changed to what you know it is that we do and hunger to learn more about what it is we do. Because, you know, in in this profession, a lot of individuals and my colleagues will share and say, you know, we just don't do this just to do this. We were chosen to do this. And being chosen to do this is because you have that empathy, you have that sympathy, you have a journey that you've been through, or you have that voice of advocacy. You want to be that voice for the voiceless. You want to be that mediation, that liaison between home and school and school and home. You want to be that individual that says to administrators, hey, in a team meeting, okay, this is our case. I want to give you the outlay of it. But let's take some time to dig back to see and once again, peeling those layers back to say, what's really going on with this child or these children or this family as a whole? It's so much more that meets the surface as to why they are here at this particular moment and time. So I'm going to veer back just a little bit. And the reason I'm going to veer back is because at the time that we're doing this interview, we just had two mass shootings in the United States. You've mentioned mass shootings at the schools or school shootings. And I know as a parent, I get a little nervous these days because, you know, high school used to be a very safe place. You know, you go to school and, you know, you, you were a kid, you know, you went to your classes and you came home and it just wasn't that complicated. But now it seems like there's, it's, it's a lot more complicated. In light, of, in light of these things, what would you want parents in particular to know that the social workers can help with, with regard to prevention of these types of things or, or intervention of some sort uh, t- to try and prevent these types of things and also, heaven forbid, in the aftermath of such an event? Um, the one thing that I would want parents to know is to be aware. You know, there are, there are times when our youth of today, or there's a term that they use, you're doing too much. No, I'm not doing enough. And I share that and not lightly, because in the wake of just shared of everything that's going on, you have to be aware of what's going on. And 
talking with your children about the reality of what's going on as well. And, you know, when you look at everything that's occurring in society today, it does put fear in a lot of our hearts because I'm a parent as well. And I cannot say without being realistic that it doesn't because we don't know what's going to occur from one day to the next. All we can do is share information and teach our children to look for those telltale signs. If you feel that you're in a situation that is uncomfortable to you, do not hesitate to leave. Mm -hmm. Do not hesitate to leave. You know, you're out with your friends, you're thinking you're having a good time, and they're kind of coercing you a little bit, making you feel like, oh, if you leave, you know, you don't want to hang out with us. That's okay. I don't want to hang out with you, and it's time for me to go. Because if you get that gut-wrenching feeling after your parent or guardian has shared particulars with you about something, follow your mind and get out of there. And if you can't get out of there quick enough, call your parent or guardian and say, hey, I need you to come and pick me up. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean they won't be mad, especially if it's the middle of the night. Oh, of course not. They'll of be glad not. to get you home. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. You know, as parents, that's just a part of nature. Exactly. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean I won't be mad that you call me in the middle of the night with this, but I need you to call me. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's more important that you come home and come home safe, right? Yes. Yes. You know, um, I mean, I'm going to reference a, a movie um, that I just thought that it was just a phenomenal, phenomenal movie. Um, and I know this may not be to the liking of all of our listeners, but I'm going to share it because there were some very specific and particulars in there that were just uh, profound. And it's the hate you give. And oh. I share this movie because it's, and I hope that individuals will take time to watch this because it's not necessarily uh, always about black, white, green, purple, et cetera. It's about talking to your children mm-hmm. and letting them know what is going on in the world today. Although it was directed in a particular way, but I want individuals to get the point of taking the time to talk to them. The father says to his son and his daughter, Mm -hmm. if you were stopped, and I'm not saying this to say that police are bad or anything like that, so I don't want anyone to take that out of context. It's about knowledge and understanding. If you are stopped, you put your hands up or you put your hands in a view where it can be seen. So there's no question about what's going on. In other words, follow the directions that were given to you. Follow those directions. You know, sometimes uh, when you're young, you become, you feel like you're fearless. You really feel like you're fearless and that nothing or, you know, nothing can harm you and and you're just going to be a super person and be here forever. But that is not always a true fact. Because anything can happen to anyone at any point in time. So you just have to be careful and cautious about the moves that you make. Mm-hmm. You really and truly do. Mm-hmm. Well, Carolyn, this has been fabulous. Where can people connect with you? Where can they, you know, can they follow any social media? How can they get in touch with you? 
I am, I do a podcast every Saturday morning. And it's on Bold Brave Media Network. It's called Dare to Soar with Dr. R.C. That is one way to reach out to me. I am on Facebook, and it's just my name, Carolyn, T-E-R-R-I-Y-L-N, Rivers Heisen Cannon. Uh, that's my Facebook page. You can find me on Instagram called Dr. R.C., D-O-C-T-O-R-R.C., and also, you can check out my website, which is uh, Soar with Katie. And that website is in dedication to my aunt, oh, where I am doing motivational speaking. That's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Well, Dr. Terrilyn, I appreciate you taking the time and being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I would love to have you on the show again. So let's do this again. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. Well, guys, it's holiday season, and we will not be having a true talk for a couple of more weeks. Julia and I are taking a little time off, so please make sure that you listen in starting in the end of January, early February, where we'll be back with some new true talks. That's our show for this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Now, as I mentioned, it is the holiday season, so we're going to have a replay and encore presentation for December 20th when my guest will be author and tattoo artist Hitachi Chaparati. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern at the somewhere in the middle podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all, and happy holidays. Mm-hmm.